honestly, I decided on a whim to apply to veterinary school. I spent the first year wondering if I had made a terrible mistake. (laughs) So that's sort of been the story of my life is having all of these happy accidents. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Whisker Cloud podcast. Today, we have the telemedicine queen, Jessica Vogelsang. How are you today? I am well. How about yourself? You know, every person that's been on the show, (laughs) I sort of have these like huge introductions for. Has anyone else ever called you the telemedicine queen? No, I'm very excited to have that. Thank you. I wear that crown proudly. Yes. Awesome. Well, this is Jessica Vogel saying she is a storyteller, a veterinarian, a marketer, an influencer. What else am I missing? It just changes all the time. <laughs> Author, I, th- I think you covered all the bases. I add new titles every week. so. Well, I'm glad to have you on. I wish I started this podcast six months ago, and then you and I could have just done like a weekly call-in thing about telemedicine, and that would have been great. Oh my God, it would have. And, and I think what were we thinking? I know. Well, even today, I think the future of veterinary medicine will never be the same again. Oh, no. We have permanently altered the course of veterinary medicine in this case for good. But, you know, the struggle now is just getting our colleagues to see that. Well, before we jump into all the exciting technology stuff, every episode we talk about your superhero origin story. So for you, I need to know, the spider bit your hand, you became Spider-Man, Spider-Woman. How did you get into the veterinary field? What made you love it? And give us the whole background. Yeah, okay. So I grew up in a family that that loved medicine. My mother is a nurse. My dad was actually a nuclear engineer, but they always kind of emphasize being in the sciences, but I love to write. And so I do writing on the side. And I always had this idea in my head that I would go to medical school. But um, when I was an undergrad pre-med, I spent a semester interning at the LA County Coroner. And I just figured I'd go all in, see what I thought about it and decided after that, like, I don't know, man, I'm not really enjoying this working with people thing. Yeah, yeah, I I go, I go for broke. So at that point, I said, well, I like animals, you know, that that's pretty close. So I honestly, I decided on a whim to apply to veterinary school. I spent the first year wondering if I had made a terrible mistake. (laughs) So um, that's sort of been the story of my life is uh, having all of these happy accidents. And so I thought that maybe I would work in research, you know, in lab animal medicine, wound up doing small animal medicine. And then that little writer part of my head is just back. That's the spider that's on my shoulder all the time. It's holding a pen. It's like, write something. So I started a blog in 2009, back when that was considered really weird. People looked at you funny if you said you were a blogger. I think there were like two of us on on the web. So I did that and I started growing Pot Curious and social media. And I, I spent probably the first two or three years with people just looking at you funny and thinking, oh my God, why are you talking to randos on the web? That's stupid. Um, But as you can see, that's really sort of become what we do now. So that was a very happy accident for me to be positioned where I am right now. Well, I have two follow-ups there. So you you worked at a coroner's office. I did. What was that like? Is gross. Yeah. (laughs) So, okay. So when uh, I was volunteered, I went to Loyola Marymount for for my undergrad work. So, and this is the mid nineties. We had just had the 10 freeway collapse in the Northridge earthquake. So I had to sort of go through all of this, you know, decrepit rundown freeway to get to this sort of decrepit rundown part of of LA where they had the the county coroner and you have an interview. They want to make sure you're not going to faint. So I was in the the main reception area (laughs) and I was sitting there next to this guy and he's trying to hit on me at the LA County coroner um, while I'm there for a job interview. And he's there because someone died. Oh (laughs) my God. Are you kidding? And yet I stayed. 
So it was interesting. I was there for, for a few months, but they, they take you underground. All the stuff is underground. And basically the interview process consists of them throwing as many gross things at you as possible to make sure you can take it. So they started with crime scene photos. They took me into the special room where people go and they pull them out of the canal. And it's, it was just, it was wild. It was wild, but also the, so depressing. <laughs> I don't know why I wound up being a euthanasia in-home hospice veterinarian after that, but I, I can't seem to escape death. It follows me everywhere I go. <laughs> well, this podcast, I was so excited, has taken a very dark and yet interesting turn. That's your fault for asking. I know. Me. And I'm actually, I'm gonna, I feel like I hate spiders and I feel like there's going to be, I'm going to like see a spider in the corner and then I'll like look down and it's going to go write something write and it's going to totally freak me out. Well, you and I met through Danielle Lambert, and I like when we talk. You and I have these fun talks that are just sort of real talks. Yeah, and I have a hard time staying on topic. Yeah, we don't <laughs> do well staying on topic, which is why four minutes into this episode, we're talking about dead bodies. Yeah. But no, I mean, that's interesting stuff. And, you know, I think the way you got connected through me and with Whisker Cloud is just your love of technology, your love of storytelling, your love of the veterinary community. And we've worked on a lot of cool stuff together. And I say we just jump right into it and let's talk about what's happening on Earth right now. The zombie apocalypse is here. Yes. COVID is here and it's not going anywhere at all. And the one thing I want to preface this whole conversation with, because I talk to a lot of vets and a lot of veterinary hospitals about telemedicine and it's scary. Whisker Cloud has thousands of clients that work with us. We literally talk to about 1,200 different people every week, and that's just the ones that email us, and they're all around the world. And even at Whisker Cloud, when COVID started, I had all but one person in California, and I told everyone, if you need to go be near family, if you need to go do this or that, you go, this is a weird circumstance. We're not going to be in office. Just go. So now I have employees all over the country. We have partners all around the world. We have customers all around the world. We have billions of data points that we collect every second of every day. We have gigantic cloud servers. We have thousands of automations that run for our clients. The point I'm saying, this isn't like flexing on them. The point I'm trying to make is we do all of that through Zoom and Slack and our Google servers. So when people are so adverse to doing a Zoom call with a client or jumping into telemedicine, I, I kind of like to tell them that, like, listen, I'm, I'm managing billions of data points here around the world in real time. I want you to get comfortable with this. So why don't you talk about how you got into telemedicine, where it started in COVID and where we're at now? Sure. And before I even do that, I, I just want to back up and sort of set the foundation for this because at its core, and, and this is the fundamental misunderstanding, I think, that veterinarians who are frightened of telemedicine have. This is not about you touching the pet. Like they're so obsessed with this idea that I cannot have a successful outcome without touching the animal. And that has hamstrung us. It hamstrings us so much because successful interactions are built on relationships. And these days, relationships happen online. I don't know if anybody was dating, you know, in, in the 2000s, and it was weird and creepy to sort of like, you can't build a relationship online. And now that's the only way you can do it, you know? And so this idea that the only way you can communicate or figure out what's going on with a pet, like by necessity has that, we're just completely... That's the foundational misunderstanding that I think is keeping most people from really sort of embracing what telemedicine can do. Now, when COVID hit, the first thing everybody said was, oh my gosh, we're going to go out of business because people can't come in. They can't come in and see us. And the AVMA did a really good job of getting state by state to make a declaration that veterinarians were essential services. And so they didn't, they didn't have to shut down. We had this drop in business for like two weeks. And then it started to pick up again because what we figured out was, oh, we can see the pets all we want. We just can't see the owners. <laughs> you know, So uh, let's, let's leave them outside. And that was obviously because again, with this assumption that I will do my best work when I have the pet in front of me, 
people didn't really want to explore telemedicine because they had, again, that misunderstanding of what it was all about. And so everybody rushed out and everybody got video chat and then didn't know what to do with it. They were so busy because they had all these clients piled up in the parking lot that they just never took the time to explore what else these tools could do and the way that these tools might be able to make their lives easier during COVID and beyond. So it's just sort of sitting there on the shelf for a lot of people, which is unfortunate because even with curbside, these tools, they're not about the physical exam. They're about all these other things you can do at scale, ways that you can connect people outside of the clinic that allows you to see more pets and allows you to help your staff stay at home. You can have remote staff these days. There's no reason that you can't, even in a veterinary hospital. So we can talk about some examples, the way that people are doing it. But I think you know, you can't have those conversations unless people understand COVID or not, you are not going to be successful the way that this industry is working if you are not willing to engage with people online because that's the expectation and that's the reality. Yeah. We looked at it from a completely different perspective when this first started. It was March 1st. We just hired a ton of people and I signed a massive lease on a new office in Newport Beach, California on March 1st. That's right. Yeah. And then on March 13th, that morning, we were the people who run the building said, pack up your stuff and go. We're going to be shutting down. And I remember thinking, oh, cool. Well, I don't have to pay rent and and you still have to pay rent. And uh, here I am still paying rent every day, which is really wonderful on this big, beautiful office. But... I went home and I looked at my wife and I said, I'm not cutting anyone's hours. We're not firing anyone. And I'm not letting our clients, our clients will not lose this. And we're sitting there watching ABC seven news in LA and, and we're watching the news and they were kind of going through California shutting down. And they're like, these are the five essential businesses and veterinarian was number three on the list. And I, I, I looked at my wife and I said, Holy shit. Yeah, we are. We are so lucky. Yep. This industry is so lucky. I, I said we could have been a company that did marketing and, and websites and cloud stuff for right. restaurants. We'd be out of business tomorrow. It could have been chiropractors, dentists. We would have been in so much trouble. I, I was shocked that out of a billion industries, there could have been veterinaries number three on that list. Yeah, it's it's funny. Like when push comes to shove, everybody understands. Hey, man, like I got to take care of my dog. <laughs> Oh yeah, you'd. I mean, there could be actual zombie apocalypse outside, and I would be driving (laughs) through them to get to Doctor Lewis to get Baxter's Cytopoint shot and to get Sophie's special food. Like before, I would let anything. But so we talked, and I had our leadership team get together, and we spent a lot of time talking that weekend. And we said, okay, we've been working on automations and building out a lot of stuff. And I'm not going to lie to anyone. We're going to try to package it and sell it. And because we thought this is cool. Like we're going to build out funnels and automations. And we talked all weekend. I said, we need to build this yesterday and we need to offer it. And by Monday we were ready to go. And Brandon Brashears on our team was building out like his own custom telemedicine hookup that was basically zoom plus Calendly plus PayPal. It's like, Hey, there's some killer apps out there. You don't want to spend 300 bucks a month and worry about it. And you want to be able to collect payment. We'll spend 20 minutes on the phone with you and and we'll build you this connection. You'll pay like 20 bucks a month for all the software. Let us customize it for you. We started building out curbside check-ins that alerted the hospitals right when they get there. And, and, and the reason I'm bringing all this up is that we were so excited about it. And I would say about 50% of our clients jumped in immediately and were like, oh my God, this is so great. Thank you for putting this together. You're a lifesaver. And the other 50 were very stressed, very nervous, didn't know if they felt comfortable about it. Even the telemedicine apps, we probably had about 500 clients immediately rushed to sign up for five or six different telemedicine apps. And within a month, they were canceling and saying, remove it from our site. And and I remember spending a lot of time thinking, okay, so they clearly don't understand these apps. And I my heart went out to a lot of those apps because I met a lot of the people in the last few months who run them. And I'm like, man, what great teams. But the education was tough. And then you show up, you created like the world's biggest telemedicine group. 
And I want to hear from you, like, how did the tone shift? How, like, I know you were like pounding the desk and then like pounding the earth. What did you have to do to get this to stick? And what are you still having to do to get this to stick? Yeah. So I've been talking about telemedicine since probably 2014. And, you know, I, I brought it up. Hey, do you, can I give a talk about this? I think it's going to be important in the future. And they'd laugh, you know, eh, people would just think that's kind of weird and vets will never go for it. And so in 2018, I was actually talking with Daniel Lambert and I said, I still feel like this is going to go somewhere. I was working with Whisker Docs at the time as their medical director. This is a teletriage service that people can call in and find out what they're experiencing as an emergency. So I said, this is going to happen at some point. So I made this Facebook group, the Veterinary Telemedicine Community. And the only members for two years were me and, and Daniel. <laughs> and, <laughs> and then right after the lockdown started, I, I forgot I had it. And I was like, Danielle, I have this, I have this uh, Facebook group. What do you think? Should we crowdsource how to do this? And she's like, yeah, you know, and she put a link up in, in her social media group. And we had, I think, 3000 members in the first month because everybody was in absolute panic meltdown mode. But again, the conversations were about what app do I choose? What app, what app, what app, what app? And so everybody's focused on the technology and not on the implementation. And so you would ask them, okay, well, you know, before you pick an app, what do you want this app to do? What do you need this piece of technology to accomplish? Like, I don't know, telemedicine. Like that's, that's not a thing. <laughs> telemedicine is a whole process of things. That's like saying I want to do veterinary. I, I want to do veterinary with this. Like, well, okay, let's be a little more specific. I think that was the struggle for a lot of people was that they did it backwards, right? I, I like to think of technology implementation as I, I call it like the spectrum, right? You start on one end with a telephone. We're all doing telemedicine already. The second you pick up a telephone, you're engaging in, in telehealth, right? Because you're not face-to-face. Anytime you talk, that's not face-to-face, -face, it's considered telehealth. And if you use it to diagnose or prescribe, it's telemedicine. And so we're already there. You just have to figure out where you're at on the spectrum and, and where your next step is. And everybody kind of went from telephone to, I got to use my Oculus and my visits. You know, it's like, okay, wait, uh, take a step back. Are you, are you doing the basic things? And so what I'm finding right now, especially in this group, was there was a lot of interest, you know, at the beginning, and just like you, people dropped off, said, I don't have the time for this. But now you've got this small, smaller group of really active people that made it work and see the possibilities. And so we're starting to have these discussions about, well, how am I using technology right now during curbside? And what, what tools are, are going to stick? And so these days, it's less about using a video or chat to actually complete a beginning to end visit. It's more about how can this technology facilitate the patient experience? So the client, whatever we can do to minimize the time that that client's sitting in the parking lot, that's not what we want, right? And so how much of this check-in process and this evaluation and the counseling can be done at home? And the answer is a lot. And is it possible that I can just have them come in really quickly for this one diagnostic that I need in order to be able to make a diagnosis? And the answer is yes. <laughs> that's actually great. And, and that's exactly what you should be doing. And so it, it's very, very difficult to get people to understand that you shouldn't even be jumping to the telemedicine part, like the diagnosing without touching the pet, until you figure out the bigger pool, telehealth, virtual care, whatever you want to call it, all the other stuff you can be doing that doesn't technically mean you make a diagnosis because we're so focused on this one thing that we forget what what clients want from us more than anything. They, they don't want a diagnosis. They don't want a pill. They want an answer to the question, what's the next thing I need to do? You answer that many, many times during your interaction. And only at the end is the answer, here's a pill, here's a, a procedure or whatever. Like all the rest of the time, there's so much going on. And that conversation doesn't necessarily have to happen in the clinic. The world is your clinic right now. This is just the place where you do the hands-on stuff. And the people who understand that are, are going to be successful. And the people that insist that the only thing you do 
outside of the clinic is schedule the appointment, right? And maybe a follow-up call. Everything else has to take place inside these four walls. You are not going to be successful in in the future. Uh, You are going to lose out to your competitors because not only is it better for you, it is a better client experience. And so you're going to lose clients if you don't understand that. So like all that being said, what's the deep down actual fear behind? And And I think we could talk at length about the fear of technology and the fear of optimization. I'm a person who As weird as it sounds, I'm really looking forward to the days where there are robots and artificial intelligence that can do the things that that humans can do. This doesn't mean my goal is to make sure every veterinary receptionist and whatever loses their job because it's like, well, you can schedule this online and we can we can answer things via chatbots and things like that. But why is there so much nervousness around implementing this? I don't see anything. I don't see any negatives really behind it other than what you said about not being able to sort of have that in-person interaction. I think honestly that the biggest holdup is just that people don't understand. You know, if you talk to people, you get a variety of fears. You know, it's this idea again, that like automation, I'm going to lose business. A lot of people sort of assume that the end game here is for AI to take over vet med or for doctors from other states to kind of swoop in and, and steal all of your patients. And so there's this fundamental misunderstanding, fear of change, and just not wanting to engage because I'm so busy. Anytime you have change, there's a learning curve, and this is a big one. And so I understand that it's difficult to take the time to do that when there's so much stuff going on right now. And but you have to at some point and you don't have to go full enchilada. You know, you can start small, but at, at the end of the day, and we know this from what we've seen on the human side, we will never be replaced by automation because to your point about vets being the essential businesses right off the bat, we are, we're a people business. We are a relationship business. And anybody who's had to deal with a client who's irate that their doctor isn't available understands that. You know, there are a lot of things that can be automated, but that fundamental relationship never will. The thing that makes you a success in this field is not the quality of your medicine. You know, there are amazing doctors and there are competent doctors and that doesn't seem to have any real impact on on how much income and how much client loyalty they have. It's how much people trust you. And that's what it's about. And a robot will never replace that. So if you're so focused on on the diagnostics or this, that, and the other, and and you're misunderstanding that at its core, you are here to create collaborative relationships, your value will never go away. So I mentioned at the beginning that I started Paw Curious in 2009, and I was also working full-time. So I'd go to the clinic and I'll deal with clients all day who would argue with me. They'd bring things that they printed off from the web and and they would trust Google and they wouldn't trust me. So I I get all of that. But then I go home and I'd log into Pod Curious and like I was that Google person that they trust. So like the people that I saw every day didn't trust me, but the people that had been following me and, and reading my stories online would call and ask me to verify is what this vet's telling me, you know, is, is that right or not? <laughs> like, of course I think go to your vet, but it really opened my eyes to this idea that trust, it takes time. It takes time and it takes interest and it, it's a very human to human sort of thing. And so it, it's not me sitting directly across from you and looking you in the eyes. It's about how we interact. Like, do you show interest? Do you, have you communicated to me that I am interested in collaboratively creating this outcome? And we know that that's very successful online. And when you talk to people, they've done plenty of studies about this. There, there's a hierarchy of the information that people trust from a medical point of view. They trust stuff that they find online the least, but they'll use it because it's there and it's convenient. If you call into like a doctor line and you talk to some doctor who's not yours, that's the next higher level. But the person that they always trust the most is their personal doctor. They trust them more and they will pay more for that interaction. So the exact same telemedicine visit with your own doctor versus a random one has more value to that client. And so we really need people to understand that that's why you need to do this. You can't lose business to some random person online unless you let it happen. 
because they want you. And the problem that they're having right now is we're not accessible. People are booking out two, three weeks right now because curbside is very inefficient, right? You can get people in, but but it takes a lot longer because we we haven't optimized those systems. Of course you can't. Nobody's had to do that before. People understand that this is a weird time, but eventually their patience is going to run out. And so if you haven't figured out how to serve those people in in a better way in in the next year or so, you're not going to lose your clients to some nebulous person sitting at a desk in another part of the country. You're going to lose them to the person down the street who said, yeah, you know what? I'll talk to you online. We'll have our telemedicine visit this afternoon. And then if you need any sort of extra test, you can just drop them off for half an hour. That's what you're going to lose them to. You got to make yourself accessible. Let me ask you a question. And I'm busy keeping up with like local or not whatever advertising trends and SEO trends and web design trends. We're actually implementing some cool new web design tricks that we're playing with. Of course you are. Of course we are. (laughs) I follow your group on telemedicine, but okay. Answer this. So every state has different laws, correct? Yep. Okay. Mm -hmm. I'm in California. I I actually, by the way, I actually, sorry. Yeah. Okay. So I, cause I (laughs) logged in when everyone went in was asking questions and I listened to the entire thing and it was a lot like a lot of horrible parts of this country and our government. It's like, we're stuck in our ways and we can't think forward, which is driving me crazy. Don't get me started. Cause that can get really nuts, but let's say California, you didn't just say, I'm sorry. And you said, Oh, perfect. We'll play in that world. We're in a different world. So California has normal roles in this alternate universe. And I'm a local veterinarian here in Newport Beach, and people love me, and I've built a nice business. If I wanted to, because like most vets are like, okay, I have about a 15 to 20 maximum radius miles around my hospital to get potential clients. From when we run ads for people, we're typically not going further out than 12 to 15 miles. It really depends where they are. So with like that being said, let's say I had this awesome brand. I'm a bond vet in, in California. And couldn't I then with telemedicine extend my radius 50 miles, a hundred miles, because maybe here in Newport beach, we're, I don't know, 45 minutes away from like Encinitas, San Diego. Like couldn't people out there be like, well, man, I've really heard about green bomb veterinary clinic and I would never drive up there, but they're doing telemedicine. It, would that be possible? Yeah, of course. And so that's, I think, a a really important point. When people talk about state boards and all the different things that they regulate, they, the State Practice Act defines the VCPR. Like, what do you need to do in order to legally establish that relationship that allows you to take care of that pet? And in most states, you still have to establish that relationship with an in-person physical exam. There are a handful of states here during COVID that say you can do it remotely. But honestly, it doesn't really matter. Even here in California, which has the most restrictive telemedicine regulations in the country right now, once you establish that VCPR, if I've seen your pet within the last year, I can do all the telemedicine that I want. The problem that the boards have, the fear that they have is that all the telemedicine I want means I'm going to run around and diagnose stuff I'm not supposed to, right? And and make a big mistake. I'm going to diagnose bloat. I'm going to like do all these things, all these emergencies. I'm going to say I can handle over telemedicine. And that's not how it's been playing out. Like we know Ontario has been doing this for three years and, and it's going great. Vets are very, very good with their discretion. And so what people are doing is making themselves available, right? And saying, well, Maybe this is something I can handle over telemedicine. Maybe not. If your dog has diarrhea, let's do what we always do and, and triage it and say, well, let's try this for a day. If X, Y, Z happens, come in or bring a stool sample. And so I, I think people will be much more tolerant of that distance when they actually have to physically drive less. That's what people don't like having to bundle in their car and drive and sit in the parking lot for three hours. But if they knew that it's going to be a quick visit and I'll have to do it less frequently. Yes, your range will will expand. But the thing that people, I think, forget or or misunderstand or, or fear about that is you still need that option. Like that, that person has to have some reasonable radius 
of, of getting to you. Like you can't be replaced by somebody who will do everything online. That's not how it works. Like we all understand that there is a large amount of things that does still have to be accomplished in person. And so a fully telemedicine outfit will never replace that. But you just, you need to sort of be able to understand that there's different use cases that can be handled remotely and, and be okay exploring that. And I think there's just a lot of fear for people. They are more cautious. Like this is not a group that runs in like Yosemite Sam and just like blows everything up. Like this is the most cautious group of people I've ever met in my whole life. You know? So I, I don't think we need to worry about vets overdoing it. They are underutilizing this right now. Even in California, it's like, you can do telemedicine, start. And they're like, no, I don't want to upset the board. <laughs> like, oh God, here we are again. Like, look, are you seriously? It's a flea. Like, you can see if somebody <laughs> sends you a picture of a flea and the dog's itchy, like, you can diagnose fleas. <laughs> like, ah. so, so that's the frustration. Like, they don't even want to try with the really, really basic things. Wow. Okay. Well, and, and like, what's interesting about that is like, the reason I asked that question is because me as an entrepreneur, I see technology as uh, the great equalizer. Like when Whisker Cloud, when we go to conferences, there are other web companies that have been in this space for 20 to 25 years since the beginning of websites and the beginning of everything in, in VetMet and whether they started with phone calls and, and, and like hold music and things like that. I have three companies in mind every year at every convention, they have these massive booths. They're very impressive booths. There's a reason that I at Whisker cloud, I don't spend my money there because I see those booths and I see that whole setup as very archaic. So the way I was putting this to our marketing team, and I'm not a fan of weapons, so it's kind of interesting, but I said, I'm not going to go sword fight with a ninja on their ground, but I'll have our like guns and rocket launchers of the future and do it on our ground. So being like, we go to conferences we throw private parties. We had Elvis perform at one. We do. We did like. I remember that. That was great. We had like a scavenger hunt dinner. We did a private dinner on the in the rooftop private club at Mandalay Bay in Las Vegas. The point I'm trying to make here is I know that I'm not going to throw the most money and have the world's biggest booth. I also don't believe that the booth sells my company well. So I think if I'm even an old school veterinarian, I would say, well, okay, what gives me any bit of an edge, what gives me the, you know, we talked about the radius in which we feel like we can pull patients and clients from what it helps me extend it five to seven miles, because especially here in Southern California, five to seven miles on that radius might add millions of potential pet owners to me. So I share that frustration with you on the telemedicine stuff, because I just see it as it's another weapon in my arsenal, a lot of weapon talk for a guy who doesn't like weapons. But I mean, I think technology is the greatest equalizer on the planet. And in most cases, adding a whisker cloud, adding a pet desk, adding a telemedicine app, we're talking, you cover the cost of a month of any one of those things with one new client a month. And you're probably going to get 50 to a hundred easily. I don't get it. Well, yeah. And you know, to your point about expanding your client list, that's one of the other problems or sort of old school assumptions that we fall into is thinking I need to be everything for every client. And and the truth is there's a small percentage of the population that you're the ideal veterinarian for. And that's before telemedicine, I did a lot of talk about branding because it's it's the same thing. I mean, you don't you don't want everybody to walk through your door. There are people that are going to hate the way you do things. You're never going to see eye to eye. And wouldn't you rather know before they come in and, and waste all your time? Like you want that 80-20 rule. Like you want to keep growing the 20 and 20. And the best clients that I know will do that drive and they will pass 15 vets that are closer to get to the one that they know, like, and trust. And those are the types of clients that you want. And if telemedicine is one tool to rope in more of them, like fantastic. Why aren't you taking advantage of that? It boggles the mind. There are people that will pick a vet solely based on convenience or based on price. And there's nothing wrong with that. Like you don't stop wasting your time trying to convince these people who don't value you that they should. Like there's jerks out there, like fine. And there are places that'll serve them. 
But the sort of veterinarian who's interested in engaging in telemedicine or listening to this podcast is probably not that person, right? You're willing to put in the effort to create sort of this boutique experience and telemedicine is going to be a huge part of that. You know, what I think about too, it's like, okay, a wellness visit on average is what in the 50 to 75 range for most, I'm sure in other places, it might be a little less, but let's just for this game, we'll call it 50 bucks. I'm worried about Sophie. She's not feeling well. I go in, it's 50 bucks. I would think of telemedicine like, well, okay, if it's Friday at four o'clock and the hospital's a little slow or they're kind of wrapping up before the weekend and you're like, well, wait, I can get 50 bucks from Adam to be on Zoom or whatever telemedicine app with him for 15 minutes and we can ring up 50 bucks and maybe we'll write a prescription or we'll sell him some food or whatever. I mean, man, I would be I would be doing that math in my head all the time. And I, I, I think of it differently because I know our hospitals. I know it's not like they're sitting there at four o'clock like, oh, it's Friday. Let's all relax and listen to music. But <laughs> I always think to myself, like, couldn't you you can almost extend your hours like, hey, we're open from eight to noon on Saturdays. But then from noon to four, if you need the doc, we have four doctors. They're all available. And I think it's like. Last week, Sophie, my Boston Terrier, she's 10. She uh, had diarrhea out of nowhere. I don't know. I I have a pretty good handle on it uh, being in this industry. I wasn't that worried, but I got to tell you something. If it was 50 bucks to get on with Dr. Lewis, and I, I feel bad saying this. I know he's listening, Dr. Lewis. Sorry, but like if I had to like put my phone at the stuff coming out of her, ah, what a classy podcast we're running here. But anyway, <laughs> anyway, I guess what I'm trying to say is if I would pay... I started with dead bodies yeah. in the canal. Like, <laughs> that we're actually on the up right now. It's like, if I could pay Dr. Lewis $50 to look at my dog's diarrhea, I would might do it on a Saturday, which is the weirdest sentence that's ever come out of my mouth. Oh, not mine. But yeah, no, and that's that's the other thing, right? We're letting a lot of money walk out of the door. People say to the, to us all the time, Clients don't want to pay for telemedicine, but when you talk to people that offer it, they do. They are so happy. Like, oh, thank God that you're available. Thank you. Here's here's my money. People, and so there's there's a couple different ways to sort of look at the question that you posed. So right now, sort of the traditional thing is we're about to close. The dog has diarrhea. Like, what do you do? You send him to ER or you make them come in and everybody stays late and everybody's all angry. Like either way, n- neither of those are great options. But with telemedicine, you have these other options. You know, you can get the doctor on the phone. When a doctor does a telemedicine visit, charge full price because you can, and it's still talking to the doctor. It doesn't matter if they're in front of you or a couple of miles away. So now you have that visit. The other option is if you have technicians, great group of technicians that are trained in triage, they can talk to the pet owner and give them some solid advice. You know, stop making your, your CSRs do the triage. It's not fair to them. That's not what they do. And so if you have the system in place where the technician can say, all right, well, based on what you're telling me, because a a parvo presentation is going to be real different than my dumb lab ate a piece of cheese again. As somebody who's known the pet for a while, because you have a VCPR, you know which one we're, we're likely looking at. And so the technician can advise them, look, this, let's do this tonight. If it continues, come in tomorrow. Or they can say, gosh, that sounds horrible. You should go to the ER and this is why I'm nervous for you. Or refer them to the telemedicine visit with the doctor. And either way, like all three of those things are are much better outcomes for the client than the first two things, just not dealing with it at all, making them go to the ER. There aren't that many diarrheas that are emergencies, right? And triage is what allows us to, to establish the difference there. And so there are lots and lots of different ways. And, and that's sort of one of the, the beautiful things about telemedicine. It is allows you to create these different touch points and you can set it up however you want. There are some people that do telemedicine entirely with asynchronous technology. So Aaron Smiley is in Indiana. He's been doing telemedicine for, for years. He's done thousands of cases and he does not do live video visits at all. of his telemedicine is texting, texting photos, texting words, and texting videos. So there are different options, but you have to know what they are and how you want to utilize them. And and the guy's like a world expert now in telemedicine and not a single live video that blows people's minds, but they're kind of missing the point of what we're trying to establish. 
Cody Krillman and I recently had a talk. That episode's coming soon. By the time you've heard this, you all have already heard that. So anyway, we talked about the future of veterinary medicine and how it's going to look, how it's going to function. And even at WhiskerCloud, we're working on the FenVet site. And I got to tell you, it's not like any other site we've built. We've built thousands and thousands of websites. This is nothing like it. And this is, we are building it to think about not... The website shouldn't be your online biography, right? And it should—it's your clinic. It's well, it's it, but it should function as a living thing, as if you were to walk in the door of a clinic and talk to someone. Your website should work the same way. So he's working on the future of vet med with this new clinic. I know you're involved in that project as well. My question is this. What is the future of veterinary medicine in your eyes, both from the in-practice look and feel to the digital look and feel? If you're, if there's veterinarians listening, I think 6 million people listened to the last episode. I could be off by about 5.999 million. <laughs> but let's just say 6 million people listened to the last episode, all veterinarians. It was crazy. What should they be honestly ready for, whether they're ready for it or not? What's coming? Well, yeah. And I think what we're going to see is sort of the stratification of what veterinary medicine looks like, right? And so you're going, we already know corporate practice is getting really big and we've always sort of demonized low-cost clinics, um, vaccine clinics, and thinking that they're devaluing our services and they're not. They're helping a very, very specific population of people who needs that. And so that is going to look very, very different from something like what Cody is is trying to do or will do, which is going to be amazing, which is create this really, really high-end boutique experience. And so if we're looking to the people that are pushing the envelope the most, that that's something like what Cody's describing, where you are sort of brought into the fold from the get-go and I'm just trying to picture like an experience, right? Like you were describing, and that's very difficult to convey to people. Like there's not a waiting room. You walk in and you're brought right into where you need to go and somebody's always there for you. And it's just, it's at the end of the day, clients, they want to feel heard and they want to feel like the medicine is is a collaborative experience and that they're the focus of it. And the way that we practice medicine right now isn't really. It's either pet focus or diagnosis focus, but there's not that much to really make veterinary medicine immersive for the clients. Like they need to feel included in this decision or they're going to find someone who will do that for them. For the specific population, again, there's people that I just want the rabies shot and they will. And if that's what you want, it's going to look different than what Cody's describing. But for those people who really want to be at the forefront, you've got to stop thinking about medicine and start thinking about client experience. You know, this is what I always tell people. This will always be true. We are practicing the most advanced medicine that's ever existed, right? That That's true today and tomorrow. Like every day we get better and better and better at the medicine part. So why are clients angrier than ever? Like it's not about the medicine. It's about it's about their experience engaging with you and engaging with that. So stop that you're great. If you have a license if you've been approved by your state and have a license, you're probably pretty competent. You know, I try to make some exceptions here, I'm sure, but for the, for the most part, I think we know what we're doing, right? That that's not the problem. The problem is is getting the client sort of on board with all of those things that you know you need to do. And you can't do it by just telling them louder that I'm good and I know what I'm doing. You have to really focus on getting them on board with it too. And that is what the future will be. And, And you don't have the time when you're in a clinic. Like I get that. You don't have 45 minutes to sit down and talk and be available all the time. Nobody wants that. We're burned out enough as it is. But that's why you use these tools and you scale and you have your technicians who are helping you build the visits and you've got a website that's really responsive and makes them feel like they can get their answers sooner. If you're doing this the right way, you can have remote teams. Like you can have a CSR and an RVT and a doctor who like work from home and and don't come in because there's so much stuff that they can be doing that isn't diagnostics, but it's helping the client 
be a part of that experience. And that is where medicine's going. You know, we always talk about this veterinarian shortage, right? Or this technician shortage, like there's not enough vets because we don't like coming into the clinic anymore. Or right now with COVID, like I can't, I have kids at home. There are so many underemployed men and women, but mostly women for a variety of reasons who love vet med. They want to be a part of the profession, but it is untenable and unsustainable the way that we do it right now. But from my group, I have hundreds of vets who would come work for you in a heartbeat if they could do it from home or at least partly from home. And we just keep saying no, and that will change, but it's the people are there. You're just not using them the right way. Wow. If anyone needs a place to go work, I have a gigantic, expensive, empty building. Um, I will give it to anyone (laughs) listening to this podcast. Just go use it, please. I've seen those photos. Oh my God. I want to come up there and build my telemedicine call center there. That'd be great. It's a prepaid. In fact, last Friday, I had five people from our leadership team. It was like this weird confluence of events where a couple were down here from other places. And we ended up, it was our first time there. And we we did a leadership meeting and we had lunch and and everyone said this was really great. I said, I hope it was great. This meeting cost us about fifty thousand dollars. I hope this was the best meeting we've ever had. Well, you know, and Danielle, um, Danielle Lambert talks about that a lot, like the bougie experience. Like clearly, we are heading into a recession. We have to be realistic and understand that there are some people that are really going to be financially pressed, and there are ways to serve those those communities. And there's also a group of people that you're working in tech right now, maybe things are going fine for you and you will pay to come to that Newport beach place, you know, with a view. And every time you drop your pet off, they're waiting with the bandana and they give you the spa water and send you off like that. I know people bristle at that. They're like, I'm a medical professional. You know, I'm here to do medicine, but like, you're not just there for that. I'll tell you one company that drives me nuts. is Postmates. I have an issue every time I order from there. And during COVID, we used it more often than not. And I'm telling you, it's like, I I think about it a lot. You have this brand that's raised tens of billions of dollars, but they don't care about the experience. They don't care about the food gets delivered, the bags open, everything smashed together. They drop it off at the wrong house. They, we had someone recently that um, ended up going to a completely different city just because it had the same street address as us. And, and it's weird. I I think about something as stupid as Postmates, but it's like, it's the same deal. It's like, Hey, I'm paying $10 to have these sandwiches delivered for my wife. And I, it's like, there should be a, Hey, we're going to drop this off. We're going to make your life easier. And as, as weird as that is to create this analogy with veterinary medicine, I think veterinary medicine is the same. It's like, find the easiest, simple ways to make it a cool little, you know, that was not a nice when I dropped the pets off. And, you know, it's like we show up with two Boston Terriers and a little orange tabby who may as well be a 70 pound Boston Terrier with how psycho she is. But (laughs) it's like, I like the way my vet hospital does it. And I, and I think it's just, it's about figuring out the technology, making it easy, doing the curbside forms on the sites like we do, using cool apps like a pet desk to have people be able to book stuff and two-way text while they're in there. Michael Shirley, who was on a recent episode of our podcast, talked about how they do video chatting with the clients. It's like, you know, yep. that sucks. So they're a part of it, that right? Sucks. Yeah. Do you think it's easy? Do you think they want to like walk into the exam room? You know, okay, how do I look? Okay, cool. Turn on the camera. Hey, it's me. Like, no, that adds a lot of time and a lot of effort. Now they have to have someone in the room to hold the phone up. It's a lot. They don't want to do that, but they also know that, Hey, I'm stressed. I'm in the car. I miss my dogs. I'm worried about them. Maybe I would like to watch. And as cheesy as that is, it creates this. And I walk away and I'm like, that was really funny that I just FaceTimed with the vet and my dogs from 20 feet away in the parking lot. Yeah. It's huge. Right. I mean, I think Almost every vet that I've spoken to who is using live video is doing it specifically for that purpose, to bring the client into the room for the curbside exams. And it's huge. It pays off so many dividends. And so again, it's about technology isn't about technology for its own sake. It's about facilitating these these relationships. And so you need to figure out at every point along the way, like what does the client need? in order to feel seen and heard? And what tool do I need to help facilitate that? Like that is the fundamental question of telemedicine. If your fundamental question is, how can I diagnose XYZ over video, then you're completely missing the point. And that's where people are getting stuck. 
how can I make this a better experience for everybody? And the answer is there's so many ways, so many ways, but you have to be willing to do that initial pain in the butt thing. And you're going to come out on the other side, like the bomb because nobody else is doing it yet. There's like 10 vets who who are really sort of nailing this. And so this is your chance. This is this is your chance to be the hero you always wanted to be, to be the leader, to get to talk at conferences because you've figured it out. Like do telemedicine. Just just use this one little tool and and you'll have it made. And if you're sitting there, if you're out there and you're kind of like ears are perked up, it means you're probably like resonating with what she's saying and you've probably thought about this. I got to tell you something. Just Go do it. I mean, A, what's the official name of your Facebook group so people can join it like right now? Yeah. So the Facebook group is the Veterinary Telemedicine Facebook community. I actually started an offshoot because when I was talking about all of those vets who want to be employed, I wasn't joking. That's the virtual veterinary careers group where my goal is to get people trained up so they can walk into a clinic and look around and say, oh, you know what? You can... For your clinic, this is the way you should use virtual tools. Let me help you. Like that is my goal because I realize it's not going to come from the top down. Like these changes are going to come from the bottom up. So if you are an individual, come find me there. Like I, I want to, I, I want you to be successful. I want this industry to be successful because I'm sitting real high level with Pod Curious. I've been talking to people around the world for ten years, and they love us. Like they really do. But you have to love them back. So let's do that. We have the tools. I agree. Well, this was awesome. This is exactly what I was hoping for today because I, I mean, I just wanted you and I to sort of riff on the future of telemedicine and technology and veterinary medicine. This was, I, I, and if you're out there listening, join that group right away. It's so important. There's a lot to learn. And I think the scariest stuff is just saying, you know what, I'm going to do this and I'm going to implement it. And there's a lot of options. You can go into that group and you can ask questions and there's like a billion people. We will help you. Yeah, they are there to help you. We will help you find the non-scary option. Well, thanks for being here. Everyone listening, please rate, review, subscribe to the Whisker Talks podcast and have a wonderful rest of your day. 